Good afternoon, everyone. As we've had plenty time to settle in our places, let me just give thanks to God for the opportunity to share in um, preaching God's word here at Ecclesia. It is indeed a wonderful privilege and um, that God gives to us all. And something that I, I, I would earnestly encourage as many as possible, amen, as many as possible to get involved in, to get engaged in, dig into God's words, um, find opportunity to um, share what God has revealed to you of his grace, of his salvation, of his kingdom, you know, build on that and um, find opportunity to do so. You can um, open your Bibles to John chapter 7, because that's where we'll be in the main this morning. And let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for the privilege of your grace to, to, to speak your word, to preach your word. I acknowledge, Lord God, that it's not so much how much we uh, of ourselves are able to prepare or exercise discipline in ourselves to handle your word rightly, but it is your word that we speak that is able and powerful to do all things, even as is evident in all the things that we see that your word has brought into existence, in all the things that we see, even just thinking about what we read from Scripture. Jesus speaking last week about <laughs> the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives life, that the word that he speaks is, is Spirit and it is life. Lord, all this is just to your glory and to the praise of your name and to the praise of your majesty. And we're thankful that even as we speak, we recognize that the weapons with which we war, even in Christ, they're mighty through you, almighty God, to the pulling down of strongholds. They're mighty through you. It's your word that brings about even the righteousness that you, that you seek, that you desire, the true worship that you want, even from all who will come to you. So God, as we, as we share in your word this morning, do speak, do um, cause the hearts who you are looking for, the true worshippers that you seek to receive you this morning. Um, we pray and ask and bless even the things that come forth from my mouth and let them be spoken in, in faithfulness and truth to you. Lord, thank you again for the privilege. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, question. Do you want to do great things for God? Or you yearn at the same time for affirmation? Does anyone have to tell you how much God's grace is at work in your life for you to carry on working for God? And for you to carry on working out God's grace in your life? If that's us, all of us, regardless, because I can put my hands up and say I've been there. Um, regardless of the purpose that we find that God has assigned to us in his kingdom, regardless of the purpose, whether it's great, high and lofty in our eyes, or small, so minimal, negligible, that we don't think too much of it, doesn't get any recognition. Regardless of that purpose, there is often the temptation to resort to our own might, using our own might, exercising, trying to do God's will in our own power rather than in God's grace. What do we do then when we face opposition? When we face rejection? When we face 
doubt, even from those who we suppose understand that, hey, I'm just doing God's work here. And even face the risk of loss for the name of Christ who we suppose we serve. You know what? We're going to see in John today, the section we're looking at, that we can rest assured that just as God reveals his salvation, God continues in his, in his great and mighty purpose to reveal and bring deliverance, salvation through Jesus Christ. We can depend on God as we serve him for an opportunity that is effectual, an opportunity that really counts and works and brings about God's purpose. We can trust God to do that in and through us as we rest in God and his grace to bring that about rather than our own power. In today's passage, we'll see that God exercises his grace according to his sovereign schedule. So for this reason, we can trust that God, in the face of rejection or setbacks, in the face of worldly counsel, in the face of trial, we can rest assured, we can trust God. So we can trust God in the face of rejection, We can assess worldly counsel in the light of God's revealed purposes and we can act confidently on the trial because God exercises his grace according to his sovereign schedule. So, where are we in um, the word? I I asked us to turn to John chapter 7 earlier on. And for those who may be visiting today, we are in a series uh, of sermons based on John's Gospel, looking at the case for Jesus as the Christ, because that's what John says it's all about. Case for Jesus as the Christ, and the case that Jesus is the Son of the living God, and believing in him leads to eternal life. So far, we've seen John show that, um, we've seen John show us how Jesus becomes publicly known in chapters one to four. And in chapters five and six, John begins to show us accounts of this savior that God reveals facing rejection. In fact, for the next couple of weeks, where does, where, where, when do we get to chapter 12? For, for, from now on, you're just going to see rejection, opposition, dispute. It's like you would almost, if you, if you were there with Jesus, be screaming out to the public and to those who are opposing, but hey, this guy is doing God's will. You're supposed to be God's people. Let him have a say. Let him do what God wants for us. You will actually be rooting for Jesus if you believe in him. If you believe in him. Nevertheless. We will see again. I'll just restate that. God exercises his grace. According to his sovereign schedule. So. We can trust. God in the face of all that rejection Jesus faces. We can trust God. And assess worldly counsel in the face of, in the light of God's purposes, and we can also act confidently when we're opposed. Some things to note that would be helpful as we um, go through today's section. It's it's John chapter seven verses one to thirteen. We're going to consider some things to note and bear in mind. I used to read the Bible like, and when I open it, I'm thinking, "Wow, this is God's kingdom." This is about God's people. So everything there is just godly. No. 
Look, in these times where Jesus lived, it was not, the people of Israel didn't live under a theocracy. Just like the way we would say, or as you hear bandied about these days, England, the United Kingdom, is supposed to be a Christian country. No. <laughs> we know that's not true. It, it's had associations with the church. It's had history with the church. And it still does. But that's not true concerning Israel, even in Jesus' time. Guess what? It was a secular society. It was a secular society in which Jews were allowed to observe religious practice. So they had Roman occupiers. Think Afghanistan. Think Iraq. While the US Army was in there running things. So they would allow Shia, Sunni. Yeah, you can have your business in your mosque. But let government run. We run things here. So the Romans run things in Israel. And they allow the Jews observe their Jewish law. They were subject to Roman authorities just like the church. And it's practice now of religious belief is subject to the laws of this country. Recent court cases will, will attest to that for us. Uh, is it Asher's International, a bakery in Scotland or Ireland? Recently found guilty of breaking the law. They practice their religious belief, but they're guilty of breaking the law. Similar to the times in which Jesus lived. Now, Guess what? It was not a theocracy. Um, the leadership and the, 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 ruler, the ruling council we hear of, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, and even the people were all mixed. Nothing like it, would have, like, like it was in the times of David, the king, where you had one unified country, where you had order of things for right these priests from they 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 descended from this family of priests and right to the right down to the priest you could tell who was who who was going to be the next priest it's interesting reading looking at the um antiquities of the jews to find that the office of priesthood was one that was jostled for at times just for political favor so that you would find Romans would determine in cahoots with people who had political ambition, they would determine, right, you're going to pull off this stunt for us, you're going to bring taxes to us, okay, we sanction or put, put our hand of blessing upon this guy being next high priest. So, Put aside that image of, okay, these are all God's people. Everything here is going according to God's order. Um, bear some things, something else in mind as well. Think about the fact that Jesus was not yet crucified. Jesus, as far as the people could tell, was just a regular guy. Born of a woman. They know his family. He's taking on flesh. So he looks just like anybody else. He wasn't, perhaps in everyone's eye, Lord, Christ, he's the Messiah. Not everyone was buying that. Yet. And even up till now. So, bear these things in mind as we read this section today. But John, this account that we're reading, John chapter 1 and verse 14, we read of John telling us there that, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that the people in his town can reasonably say, yeah, we know this guy. Isn't this the carpenter's son? We know his brother's. James, Jonas, Judas, we know this guy. 
Just like you could know Lionel, who lives in Peckham. Or Marky, who lives in Newcross. You get what I'm saying? I think that's clear enough. Now, this is also before Jesus is even resurrected, before Jesus is crucified. And he's also subject to, remember, Roman rule. Now, we go on to see what's happening here. Last week and the week before, Jesus is still being made known to the people who are far removed from the days of Abraham. They're far removed from the days of Moses. They're far removed from the days of David and the prophets. For the people of the day, it is just business as usual. But there is now also one person that everyone knows well. Or do they? Do they know Jesus Christ well? Last week, just after reading, um, after listening to the sermon and reading in John chapter 6, I stopped to ask the question, is Jesus losing popularity? And as I read this account, there was a sense of loss that carries over from last week even to now. It carries over from beginning of chapter 5 to now. We read, uh, that was last week, John chapter 6 and verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And as a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. What's happening? You see, if you believed in Jesus in that time, maybe that account that John gives isn't, isn't relevant. It's, or the question is not even a relevant question, whether Jesus is losing popularity. Because you've already been with him and you've seen the signs he's worked. You've seen him turn water into wine. I don't know what kind of wines they had, but wow, that's a very good vintage. (laughs) That was the reaction. You saw it. He turned water into wine. And this was at the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. He healed the man who had been infirm for 38 years in Jerusalem. You know what that's like. There's people who we may have been praying and praying and praying, sincerely praying to be made well, to be healed. And then 38 years down the line, they meet this guy, poolside, Jerusalem. He doesn't even get into the water that's supposed to be healing people. And he comes home healed. Like, what? You've seen those things. So the question isn't relevant whether he's losing popularity. As far as things go, you believe this Lord. You believe this guy. Even the Samaritans. Samaritans, you know, those people in the Midlands who the Pharisees don't have anything to do with. They believe in him too. In fact, you heard and you were there when a whole town came out and said, wow, we believe this is the Christ. So the case is made, is settled, if you believed. But, Faced with these guys who say, who stopped walking with him, what do you do? You know, it's easy in such circumstances. Yes, for those who walked away to walk away. What about Jesus? What would you do if you were in his shoes? 
Because he asked his disciples, would you walk away as well? Does this, does this offend you? Does this, if you like, trap your clothes in barbed wire so you can't move anymore? Not following me? Faced with such rejection, faced with such desertion, what would you do? <laughs> There's a, a passage of scripture, forgive me, I'm not citing it, where in the parable Jesus presents um, this parable talking about a, a guy who owns a vineyard and comes around, oh, sorry, he owns a fig tree, comes around, Sees the fig trees come around year after year. There's no fruit. He tells the guy who's running the, the yard, please chop that tree down. Come around year after year, no fruit on it. Please chop it down. But in the parable, Jesus expresses the patience of God, the forbearance of God, in telling the, the, the guy who runs the, who, who manages the, 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 the yard, leave that tree. I'll let you run it for another year. Dig around it. Fertilize it. Do whatever you want to it. Let's hope there'll be fruit again. And this is what the Lord is demonstrating here. Let's read then the passage we're looking at today. John chapter 7 from verse 1 to 13 after this Jesus went about in Galilee he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him now the Jews feast of booths was at hand so his brothers said to him leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. But not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet, for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. What we'll see again is that God exercises his grace according to his sovereign schedule. And for this reason, we can trust God in the face of rejection. We can. We see in verse 1 of our text that after the rejection, the walking away, the abandonment of many of his disciples, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. You know, Looking at this, I thought, hmm. For, you know what, what? Let's see what's going on here first. Following the threat to kill Jesus in Jerusalem, he didn't force himself on Jerusalem against the will of God. But he continued to reveal himself in the region of Galilee. I didn't think this was any any, of any importance at all, but I don't know if you asked the question as well. Was Jesus just hiding in Galilee because there was a you know, job on his life? Somebody had put some money on his head, and so he's cowering away. He was fickle, afraid. Maybe get caught and 
That's it. That's the end of this Jesus army. But it, think about it. It's not because Jesus could not save himself from the death threat. And if he found himself cornered, and he had found himself cornered previously. Right on the edge of a cliff. And scripture says he walked right through the crowd who had picked up stones to stone him. And it's not because he didn't have the means to take care of any troublemakers. Think about it for a minute. If they read their hairs to take him. You see, I mentioned some earlier signs that continue to reveal Jesus as Christ in Galilee. He was right there still working out God's purposes. He was right there still working according to God's schedule. He was right there still working even though he had said amongst the Galileans, no prophet is without honor except in his own country. Because I thought, wait a minute, so if these guys had rejected you in Galilee and then in Jerusalem you're getting death threats, Hold on. Where are you accepted? Where are you accepted? And would you just go where there is acceptance then? And just work where everybody likes you. Just work where everybody agrees with everything you want to do. And note, he's doing this for God. He's doing this for God in Galilee. See, right up north there in Galilee is where he's working. So he continues to do what God would have him do. Remember, it's in Galilee last week. We saw Jesus feed 5,000, over 5,000. Galilee is somewhere up north. Okay, see, didn't come out like I thought it would. Okay, but up north where you can see Caesarea, Philippi at the top of the, of the map, Capernaum, that region's Galilee. And it's in Galilee where he feeds over 5,000 with what we jokingly call the Bethesda Happy Meal. Five barley loaves and two fish. Over 5,000 people. That's God working. You know, Jesus wasn't exercising power arbitrarily but working what God would grant to be worked working according to God's schedule God working through Jesus Christ how does this work for us so we've seen Jesus is already rejected and there's a threat on his life in down south in Judea down south in Israel on our map and up north the people are rejecting him because Man, we know this guy. What do we do then? No one believes what we hold to be true in Christ. So, what do we do? And how does this work? In the places where we are, it's not uncommon for us to be rejected as believers, or because of the faith we hold, or even looked down upon with familiarity. Oh, this is my brother. I mean, I've known him all his life. Since the time he put on this Jesus thing, <laughs> I don't know who he thinks he is to come tell me now, that, or speak to me as though he's holier than me. You may have experienced that. Rejection. Nevertheless, in those times, it's helpful to recognize that the rejection we face isn't necessarily an absence of God's working. Because right there and then, as we, could, as we can see with Jesus, it's not so much about Jesus exercising his power 
I mean, if he wanted everyone to believe, that's easy for God to do. Just change everyone's minds. Simple. I mean, he exercised power over the storms, over the sea. He controlled nature. What's so hard to control itsy-bitsy me, my little tiny mind? God can do that too. Let's trust then that even in the face of rejection that we would, that we would experience, wherever it is, where even at home, at work, wherever, we can trust that God would work his grace even according to his sovereign schedule. We can try and force it. We can end up being like we're trying to ram the word of God down people's throats. We can end up being obnoxious. Like, hey, if you don't, this is, you know, we don't do this sort of thing in my house as long as I am the, it's Father's Day today. As long as I am the ruler of this roost, you will, uh, uh, uh. the wrath of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. We can trust that God will work according to his schedule even in the face of rejection. Parents and children use, use this time while we have the opportunity to share the grace of God upon our lives with our children. I know what I was like when I was the ages of my children. Oh, it'd be amazing to share with them, hey, at your age, This and that and the other is what I was doing. Like, what? They wouldn't even believe it. So what happened? And by God's grace, I pray to look for opportunity to indeed honestly share, honestly instruct because of the grace of God upon my life rather than force it. Because you see, the thing is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can show that pattern as well. You see, God exercises his grace even according to his schedule. So for this reason, we can assess worldly counsel. We can assess worldly counsel in the light of God's revealed purposes. We see in our passage, Jesus' brothers advising him. The Feast of Booths was at hand. So Jesus' brothers advised him, leave here. Go to Judea. That your disciples may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. His brothers didn't believe in him. The Feast of Booths, just to explain that briefly, is something God ordained for the children of Israel. They were to observe an annual gathering where they would come and rejoice, giving thanks to God for the blessing, the bountiful harvest that God has given them. And this was to be held annually. And Thinking about it, large crowds would be in Jerusalem from all Israel and beyond. From all Israel and beyond. So, Jesus' brothers, referring to his siblings, of course, um, he did have siblings. In Matthew 13 and 55, we can see some of them even named. James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. These They were probably not yet believers at the time. They're probably thinking about the I am the bread of life incident that, you know, didn't work out so well. Where many deserted Jesus, many walked away. And they were suggesting a way of possibly rekindling his popularity with the world. It's clear, isn't it? From what they say here, Jesus 
this lot have decided not to follow you anymore. But reading carefully between the lines, who's Jesus after? Does he want the world to come after him? Or is he trying to please the world? Is he trying to impress the world? Clearly something Jesus is not seeking to do. I mean, the, the, the impression of my mind is Jerusalem's got talent. You know, I'm trying to enter Jesus into that contest. <laughs> but it's interesting to see in the face of this sort of counsel that God is already at work in the hearts of men. In John chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Who is it that comes to Jesus at night? A guy called Nicodemus. Guess who he is? A Pharisee. A leader of the Jews. Leader of the guys who put a, you know, a job out on Jesus. <laughs> One from their mists comes to see Jesus at night. The brother's suggestion is, you seek to be known openly. But guess what God's doing? Secretly, working in the hearts of those who are opposed to Jesus to bring them to him. Already, something they're probably not aware of. Because this is God's private working, God's working in the hearts of men according to his own schedule. Look at the working in the heart of this man. To the point where we read in John chapter 7 and verse 50, God got him so committed to stand up for Jesus where the leaders of the Jews, later on in chapter 7, we'll see probably in the next couple of weeks, they're given the green light to take Jesus down. Nicodemus stands up in their midst. Guys, do we judge a person without hearing what he has to say for himself right in the midst of where there's a plot against him right in the midst of where there's a plot to oppose to, to Jesus to take him down, to cut him short God's working there already beats a popularity contest wouldn't you say I don't know how many X Factor winners or you, you can recall how many? None? Okay. Does that make the case? He ain't trying to be popular with the world here. He's trying to accomplish the purpose of God. So much so, God's working. Worked so well in secret that Nicodemus comes out openly or publicly, because here's the account of it. In John 19, verse 38, a leader of, among the Jews, a leader among those who authorized and, and, and championed Jesus' crucifixion, coming out to ask for his body, bringing spices to bury Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about openly associating with him. God's working. God is working. He is working um, his purposes, even privately. He's work, working his purposes according to his own schedule. So, here's what's in there for us. We will face temptations to employ shortcuts to bring about God's plan, to bring about God's purposes. We might even put others up to it. Hey, how about we start some kind of a ministry or the other? How about we start or do something that, you know, on a big grand scale that will glorify God? But not seek God's counsel, not seek God's purpose, not ascertain what it is that God would have us do, or not even appreciate how God, how God indeed works in the hearts of men. To bring his will to come to pass again.
So again, let's take care to review what it is that we do for God. Something struck me about this home, Jesus Brothers. <laughs> if there was ever such a thing as a Christian home, this is it. His brothers grew up in a Christian home, so to speak. But the purposes and the plans, wow. You couldn't say so much about those plans or about those purposes because at the time, they hadn't yet recognized Jesus as Lord. Nevertheless, as God would have it, these also, this one of them is named um, James, the brother of the Lord, whom Christ appeared to even after his resurrection. We can, because also God exercises his grace according to his schedule, we can take stock and assess the counsel that we, we get even in the light of God's purposes. Oh, that was um, just a booth, the sort of thing that these guys would dwell in during the Festival of Booths. It's a modern equivalent, Creation Fest. <laughs> now, Jesus, speaking to his brothers, tells them, hey, guys, my time has not yet come. Your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Jesus compared to his brothers, takes his cue from different authorities. Jesus takes his cues from God. His brothers take their cue from the world. And remember, things are in flux at present. As far as God is working in and through Christ. Even the feast that these guys have gone to, the Feast of Booths, Essentially observing and remembering a time where God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Sustained them. Preserved them. Kept them. Provided water. Provided food for 40 years in the, in the desert. And keeping them also in temporary dwellings. Temporary dwellings. Um, but things are indeed in flux. And what's going on here is this. Jesus is actually waiting for God's cue. Because the time for Jesus to go to the feast is when God says it's time to go. Moreover, the time for Jesus to accomplish the work of, that God has sent him to do um, is what God, Jesus has to wait for. How's, how do we see and know what's, uh, what actually demonstrates this? In John chapter 4 and verse 21 to 24, Jesus tells a woman at a well in Samaria about this. Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You guys, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation or deliverance is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship God, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You get to the end of the train line on the DLR, 
And the conductor says, what? All change, please. All change. That's what's going on here. Jesus is declaring God's purpose, revealing God's plan to introduce a new covenant. But still, like I said earlier on, it's business as usual. For this reason, when we see that God um, exercises his grace according to his sovereign schedule, we must stop and take stock and assess counsel that we receive, worldly counsel, in the light of God's revealed purposes and act confidently on the trial. What is God doing in this time in our lives? What is God doing in this time as far as salvation is concerned? As far as bringing deliverance for the world is concerned? Is he ushering in new governments? Well, the government and the rule of Jesus Christ, yes. Is he bringing this about through any means or anywhere, any, any ways where we are involved? Yes. Demonstrating the grace of God. And looking for opportunity also to advance that kingdom. Yes. We are involved in that. We are called to that. So that whatever things we set our hearts on to do or to pursue, let's be reliant upon God's grace. Let's be reliant upon the grace of God to bring about an establishing, a furthering of God's kingdom. This we can't do in our own strength. We cannot. That would just be imposing an unreasonable burden on us. But as we see, even Jesus is waiting for a green light to go. And that gives us indeed <laughs> assurance that we too can rely and wait upon God. Even in the face of things that look like, yes, this is a brilliant idea. This is a good plan. We can, we can, we can go forward with this thing and advance and glorify God. Nevertheless, it calls on us to um, look to God for direction. Look to God for counsel. So, you may be in between jobs right now. Maybe considering things that God has laid on your heart to do. And I think we all have things like that. But again, we have the privilege of asking God for direction. We also can, because God exercises his grace according to his own timing, we can act confidently on the trial. We can act confidently on the trial. Jesus ends up going to the feast and this is not there. In verses 11 and 12 and 13, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Much muttering about him among the people. Man, that guy's a good guy, you know. No. He's just leading people astray. It's not unlike us being believers, sitting in the places where we hear or overhear comments like that about you. Man, church is all about money, man. It's the easiest form of employment. It's easiest, it's the biggest swindle around. You heard that? Oh, it's just about, man, this, this, these guys are just this deceive young people or deceive the ignorant. Jesus had those accusations too. But what's happening here is this. These guys are, they've put a price on Jesus' head out of envy. Remember, it's a very secular society. Even within the, the religious leadership, there are some who were 
ill-motivated. And there were some who believed in the Christ, believed Jesus is sent from God. They were expecting and actually waiting for a Messiah. They're expecting God to bring about his kingdom and salvation for the Jews, deliverance for the Jews. Even in a physical sense, in a material sense. Roman rule, we've had enough of that. Paying taxes to the Romans, what's that all about? This is a land God's given us. But these, even within themselves, are looking to take the Savior out. He's just like a regular guy, remember? For the leaders of the Jews, this is a thorn in their flesh. A guy you just don't want to have around. Because he's spoiling things. We have very nice arrangements with the Romans. Why does this guy have to come and spoil it? It's not unlike our society today. It's not unlike our society today. Um, just taking a cue, and I've got to be careful what I say, just taking the cue from the kinds of legislation that's passed out. Sorry, this is a pet peeve for me. <laughs> legislation that's passed out that, indeed, it's publicly been, been said that the last government or the last parliament passed out so much anti-Christian legislation, things that are just against the things that God, the gospel of God preaches that I believe it's um, the Christian Institute, Premier Christian Radio, began to put together a lawsuit or to make a case and take a petition to the courts of justice to say, hey, <laughs> these things that this government is doing, they're just... <laughs> I mean, just a liberty too far. It is not unlike what Jesus is up against. Believe it or not, it may not look like the screws are tightening, but they are. They are. It'll come to a point, and I, I pray, and I, I trust you're praying as well, that it won't come to a point where there's, what am I saying? It has come to the point. Whose freedoms, whose freedoms are upheld by law? Whose liberties are upheld by law? What truth is upheld by law? Freedom to practice your religion. Freedom to practice what you believe. Well, this freedom trumps yours. So you're the one who's... Uh, breaking the law unfortunately sorry can't help you you can appeal to the highest authorities the European High Court sorry can't help you that's what your law says in this respect I would really urge us to pray concerning this new bill that the government is thinking not thinking is acting upon now I don't know how far and why the consultation goes or whether there's any consultation on it this British Bill of Rights. You've heard about it? Listen to the news? Anybody? Okay. Listen to the news. Pray about it. There's a Bill of Rights going into Parliament. It's one of the big things, one of the first things this government has talked about now that it's in majority. And there have been concerns raised about what restrictions that places on your freedoms to act confidently, declaring and walking according to God's plan. We know one of those things is to, we want to be able to freely tell people of God's grace upon our lives. I was a rascally, wayward, wayward child. But the testimony is, oh, look what God has done. I can't imagine or see how in any way I would see myself standing here today, except for the grace of God. 
I don't want to be able to testify about that. I want to be able to tell others that that's because of what God has done. That's because of God's grace upon my life. Not, not a self-improvement program. Not some 10-step thing where I can you know, manage my anger, manage my behavior. That's, that's powerless. Powerless when it comes to God exercising his grace. So for this reason, look. We can act confidently, even under trial. Jesus faced trials like this and see the freedoms of the people even in that time were restricted. They couldn't speak openly about Jesus because of fear of the Jews. I thought, why? Is it that these guys would take people out? I mean, they've put a job out on Jesus. He's popular enough. If you took him out, everybody would know. You, small fry, compared to Jesus, easy. We can sort that out if you stand up for him or attest to his um, divinity or if you say he is the Christ or you believe he is Christ and declare it publicly. We, we, we can take care of that. But we can rest assured as God's working, as God's working, um, we can rest assured and we can act confidently on the trial. Because here's what's happening. We will see in the weeks to come, Jesus carries on, even through this time, goes to Jerusalem, goes to Judea, right where, the, right where there's people looking for him. Because here they're asking, where is he? He goes there, no one can touch him yet. An arrest team is arranged to get Jesus and they get there and come back boy man we couldn't touch that guy you know nobody speaks like him God's working I mean I don't know know if you've ever seen or witnessed some of these police programs where they take a whole troop car truckloads of policemen go bang the door down police and just to get one guy They get to Jesus and they just turn around and like, oh, man, nobody really could. Nobody's not. This guy's different. We couldn't even touch him. And that's God's working as well. We can rest confident that God would exercise grace even in our behalf on the trial. Jesus Indeed, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, identifies with us and knows what it is like, what it is that we go through when we face trial. He knows what it is that we go through. In Hebrews 2, verse 14 to 18, since the scripture says that since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, also took part of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus is able to help us, even in the face of the most extreme trial or hardship or difficulty for us. I was going to mention this, but I thought, no, that's, that's actually not, got nothing to do with um, what we're talking about today because that was racially motivated shooting in Charleston just last week. But in, despite what um, the young man, Dylan Roof, carried out, those people who are grieving, have had the confidence to come out and attest and even offer forgiveness to that young man. Seems foolish, right? 
yeah, that's the reaction you got on if you just go in the in on Twitter, the reactions are like you leave me in a room with that guy with a bat for one minute <laughs> and I will get a whole load of forgiveness out of him. That's what just seems a natural thing to do. But you see, God's schedule is still on time. We look forward to a hope, a living hope. Remember Jesus tasted death. He lives again. He lives again and is able to make intercession for us. He's able to be a faithful high priest for us. He's able to aid us even when we face trial as well. So as we conclude, it is helpful for us to know, seeing what we've seen, that God exercises his grace the, the working, the, the support, the help, the enablement, the wisdom of God according to his schedule. And for this reason, we can trust God. We can trust God. Every one of us can trust God in the face of rejection. For this reason, we can even assess counsel that we receive in the light of God's purposes. And we can also act confidently on the trial. What does that leave us to do now what are the situations that we face that need the grace of God to deal with what counsel have we received in terms of direction for living out the life that God has called us to what has God appointed you to do what's he laid on your heart to do concerning his kingdom for which you've probably not received any affirmation You've not received any kudos. You've not received a pat on the back. And maybe you're facing discouragement. Hey, Jesus has been there. Well, by God's grace, he relied. He stood. He carried on faithfully serving God and seeing God's grace work mightily in his behalf. Can I just ask us to stand and pray? You know better than I do what, what situations you deal with right now that you find yourself powerless to handle, powerless to do anything about, powerless to even resolve or change, but need God's grace to deal with. Can I just urge you right there where you are Commit those situations to God, knowing that God has called you, brought you, or placed you in that situation for a time like this. You're probably getting a lot of counsel now concerning life-changing situations, ministry opportunities. Or even things that look like ministry opportunities. But you want to assess them and know that well. (laughs) This is not going to land you somewhere else other than where God would have you. Pray about those things. Ask for God's grace. Maybe things that don't look grand on the scale of things, perhaps a difficult relationship with a child who's told you straight up, forget about God, it's not my business. You don't want to resort to your own strength. You don't want to resort to your own wrath. God's grace is sufficient. You may be on the fire right now for talking about God, for talking about Jesus. 
commit that situation to him. You may even be on the fire just for something totally unrelated. It doesn't seem like it has anything to do with Jesus, but what you probably don't know is that men have taken counsel against you because they heard the name of Jesus at all and <laughs> make a mountain now out of a molehill. Ask for God's intervention. Ask for God's grace. You can be confident that God's grace will avail on time and in his schedule. He will work his purpose. Father, thank you for Jesus persevering. Thank you for Jesus pressing on despite rejection, despite being deserted by many, for persisting knowing that he will face death on the cross for us, but just also knowing that even there you will be glorified. Father, in all those adverse situations that we face that seem like, oh, this is it, it's over, Please, Lord, um, your word says you guard our hearts and our minds. Your peace would garrison our hearts and our minds. <laughs> we commit those situations to you, Lord. Those strained relationships with our children or with our parents, Lord, Help us there to rely upon your grace rather than our ability, our quick tongue. <laughs> Help us to trust you, depend on you, Lord. Work to the glory of your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.